Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Daily Daf Differently. My name is Alyssa Gray, and today we'll be learning Yoma Daf Mem Gimel, Yoma 43. Today's Daf continues with a detailed analysis of the verses from Numbers chapter 19 that relate to the ritual of the red heifer, the para aduma. This is the Daf's principal subject matter through the next Mishnah on 43b. Along the way, the Daf naturally also brings two Mishnayot from Tractate Para into the mix, Mishnah Para 5.4 and Mishnah Para 12.10. Tractate Para is the Mishnaic tractate that deals largely with the halachot of the Para Aduma. Our main interest today, like yesterday, remains rabbinic scriptural interpretation. Today we will be looking closely at three principles of scriptural interpretation known in the trade as hermeneutical principles mentioned on our daf. The first is miut achar miut, one limitation following another limitation. As to the situation in which scripture follows one limitation with another, a general rule is ein miut achar miut ela lerabot. One limitation only follows another limitation to signify inclusion. The Gemara utilizes this principle on 43a as follows. Numbers 19.4 states that after the para aduma is slaughtered, Eleazar the priest will take of its blood on his finger and toss it seven times toward the tent of meeting. The specific reference to Eleazar the priest is a limitation. This follows on the specific limiting reference to Eleazar the priest in the previous verse, 19.3. The Gemara explains that for the Amora Rav, this limitation following the limitation comes to indicate a greater inclusion, in this case that any ordinary priest, not just the high priest, can perform the para aduma ritual. This principle interestingly takes two consecutive statements of limitation and reads them as opening up room for the interpreter to read scripture more inclusively. In other words, this principle takes what seems to be scripture's clear intent to close down the possibility of interpretation and instead allows for it to be opened up. The scholar Michael Chernick has observed in his research on this hermeneutical principle that it is found in the Bavli principally in the post-Amoraic Stam layer, the anonymous editorial layer of the Talmud. Although this principle is attributed in rabbinic tradition to the Tana Rabbi Eliezer ben Rabbi Yossi HaGalili, a study of how the principle is actually deployed in rabbinic literature casts doubt on whether this attribution is accurate especially since the principle is never employed in the undoubtedly authentic Tanaitic compilations. This, together with the overwhelming presence of the principle in the Talmud Yerushalmi and Talmud Bavli, in the Stam layer in the latter, suggests that this principle really stems from later in the rabbinic period. On 43a, we find the second principle of scriptural interpretation we will reflect on. This principle is expressed in a lengthy Aramaic quote, Milta de Atia Bakal Vachomer, Tarach Vakata Vla Kra. 
Let's unpack this by first considering the phrase kalva chomer, light and heavy. This is a form of reasoning from a minor or weaker premise to a stronger or major premise. One well-known biblical example of this form of reasoning is found at the end of the book of Jonah, although, of course, the Bible doesn't use the term kalva chomer. There God challenges Jonah. Jonah was annoyed and concerned about the plant that had sheltered him and then died, which he had not cultivated nor cared for, and which came and went overnight. If, says God, Jonah was concerned about that, Jonah's concern being the minor or weaker premise, then shouldn't God, here comes the major or stronger premise, shouldn't God be concerned about the great city of Nineveh with its thousands and thousands of people and animals? Now that we understand Kalva Homer, we can return to the entire principle. Milta da'atia b'kalva Homer, tarach v'katav la'kra. As to a matter that may be derived by Kalva Homer reasoning, scripture nevertheless took the trouble to write a verse teaching that point. In other words, although the subject matter of a verse might be derivable via Kalva Homer reasoning, scripture took the trouble to teach that subject matter in a verse. This principle is utilized on 43a as follows. Numbers 19.7 states that after slaughtering the para'a duma and preparing its ashes, the priest will wash his clothes and his body, and then the priest, the verse actually repeats that word priest, will be ritually impure until evening. The Talmud explains that the phrase, quote, and the priest will wash his clothes, unquote, means that the priest must have prepared the para'a duma while wearing his priestly vestments. Similarly, the Talmud understands the phrase, quote, and the priest will be ritually impure until evening, unquote, to mean as well that he must have been clad in his priestly vestments. This being so, the Talmud states that it has difficulty understanding the point of view of the one who interprets that in the future, after the time of the Torah, the para aduma preparation must be carried out by the high priest. If the para'a duma must be prepared by the high priest, is it then necessary for Numbers 19.7 to teach that the officiant must be clad in his priestly vestments? Wouldn't we assume that the high priest would perform the ritual while wearing his priestly vestments? Why would the Torah have to spell this out? The response is our principle a point that might have been inferred by Kalva Chomer reasoning, that if the ordinary priest must wear his priestly vestments in doing the para ritual, we certainly may assume that the high priest in future will do so. This is a point that in this case, scripture took the trouble to record in a verse, Numbers 19.7. Interestingly, this hermeneutical principle is first attested in the Talmud Bavli. What this principle appears to do is to limit the scope of Kalvachomer reasoning by anchoring it in a verse. It undermines Kalvachomer by pointing out that the Torah chose to record in a verse what could have been derived through human reasoning. Alternatively, of course, one could say that this is another way of affirming the inherent reasonableness of Scripture. The third and final principle we'll consider today is mashma motzimiyad mashma umashma memela. As applied to the Torah's discussion of para aduma in Numbers 19, this means that in some cases, a verse comes to undermine the import of a preceding verse. That is, if verse A says something is valid or invalid, verse B comes along and means the opposite. This is mashma motzimiyad mashma. 
but sometimes a verse will mean just exactly what it appears to say, that is, umashma memela. This principle is first enunciated by the Amora Ula on 42b at the start of the Gemara's detailed verse-by-verse exegesis of Numbers 19, which continues on to Ardaf 43. The point of this principle is that it is difficult to interpret Numbers 19 in a completely consistent way through a straightforward reading of the verses. This principle appears once on 42b and twice on 43b, and this is the extent of its appearance in the Talmud Bavli. The notion of mashma motzi miyad mashma alone appears in the Tanaitic work Sifra to Leviticus. There are two notable differences between the deployment of this principle here in Bavli Yoma and in the Sifra. Number one, as noted in the Sifra, the idea of mashma memela, that one can derive the import of a verse on its own without its being undermined by another verse, is missing. And number two, in Numbers 19, the verses seen as exceptions to other verses are all within the same topic, the discussion of para aduma. In the Sifra, by contrast, Leviticus chapter 11, verse 2, which reads, These are the creatures that you may eat, is seen as an exception to Genesis chapter 9, verse 3, which reads, Every creature that lives shall be yours to eat. In other words, in the Sifra, the verse seen as an exception to a previous verse is two whole biblical books away. In the Sifra, the concept of mashma motzi miyad mashma seems analogous, very interestingly so, to the later Islamic concept of abrogation, the idea that a later verse in the Quran might abrogate a previous verse. Although we are only dealing here with a total of four appearances of this concept between the Sifra and the Talmud Bavli, it does seem as if the Bavli is trying to narrow the scope of this concept, which, if left the way it appears in the Sifra, could lead to the interpreter's taking of excessive liberties and the carving out of exceptions to Torah verses. Until tomorrow. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.